As a marital therapist, I can tell you, it's just my opinion, but I can tell you that a lot of marriages are suffering. A lot of marriages that seem from the outside to be doing fantastic. When you really get to know them, as I do as a marital therapist, you realize how much difficulty they are experiencing. We really depend on our spouses to give us a lot of our attachment needs, a lot of our our relationship needs, our friendship needs, our sexual needs, our dependency needs. We depend on our spouses for a lot. And all of us come from histories that have relationship issues. And so those issues are going to get triggered when we're in a marriage. And when those things are triggered, we're not going to react well, and we're going to be problematic. And we're all inherently narcissistic, so we all believe that our feelings and thoughts are genuine and awesome, and everyone else's feelings are stupid and and ridiculous. And so there's a lot of conflict going on. And what do we do as friends to these people? And what do we do as therapists for couples that are going through this sort of thing. You know, how do we see it? What do we do with this? Well, that's what I want to talk about today on this podcast. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed marital therapist. And I thought today I would just read a patron's email Remember that if you're a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com, your emails get preferential treatment, and often I will just make entire episodes out of patrons' emails. So if you're not a patron already, make sure you go to patreon.com and become a patron of the podcast. You pledge a certain amount of funds each month and know that 20% of that goes to various charities that I've talked about before. So again, become a patron of the podcast, please. A patron wrote in, and she wishes to remain anonymous, and she said, I'm a new patron of your podcast, and I couldn't be more thrilled to have discovered you. I am wanting to change professions and have been thinking deliberately about switching to clinical psychology. So thank you so much for providing a truly unique and invaluable podcast. You're very welcome. I was wondering if you might speak to an issue that a loved one of mine is experiencing. How would you advise an unmarried couple who doesn't want to get married, but who have a four-year-old daughter and want a biological sibling for their daughter? They are fairly sure they do not want to stay together long-term. They are contemplating having another child. The idea of them simply having a child for the purpose of giving their daughter a biological sibling seems incredibly risky and nonsensical to me. However, they can't bring themselves to end their dysfunctional relationship. They are concerned that if they break up, then their daughter will have to navigate her parents and their issues alone over the years, and that she will suffer more overall for having divorced parents when she was just four years old. All the while, they incidentally argue in front of her, openly communicate that they do not want to be together, but yet they don't want to miss out on 50% of the custody of their daughter and any other children they end up having. Is there any clarity that could be given to their situation? It seems utterly confounding to me, yet I am not a parent, so I can't really imagine what they are going through. If the topic would be relevant to your show, that would be great, but if not, that's understandable too. Thanks so much for your time and all the work you do and your team put into the podcast. 
You're welcome. Well, let's review the facts here. So if we just sort of look back at what this anonymous patron is saying, she's saying that we have an unmarried couple. They don't want to get married. They're planning on eventually breaking up. They openly say that they do not want to be together long term. They have a four-year-old daughter. They're having difficulty ending their relationship because they're worried the divorce will negatively affect the child and they're worried about splitting custody. And they want another child to give their daughter a sibling. And the, the listener, the person who's writing in, thinks that this couple is quote-unquote dysfunctional and they argue in front of the child. So your question to me is, how would I advise them? Well, the first thing that I will say to myself and to supervisees of mine when they run run into cases like this, because this is actually a, a quite common case for marriage and family therapists, is to remind myself that life is messy, relationships are messy, and I need to get used to that. I need to just calm down and say, the world has a lot of things in it. Whenever I say the world, I want to sing the Smashing Pumpkin song. The world is a vampire. And so I need to just remind myself that, you know, the world has a lot of messy things in it. And I need to take a deep breath and accept that. It doesn't mean it's a good thing, but all of us therapists just have to, uh, at some point, adjust to that and periodically check in and make sure that we're we're calm and you know we accept that the world is the way that it is. Now, can we change it? Absolutely, but one of the problems when people approach cases like these is to get quite anxious and quite desperate and quite um agended, shall we say. So I just need to remind myself life is messy and I just take a deep breath and try to calm myself and be professional. The second thing that I do when I think about consulting with or working with clients like this is I have to remember culture. Some parents uh, in some cultures, they don't love each other and that's okay. There are other cultures around the globe and even within the United States that don't value romantic love in child rearing as much as mainstream Americans do. We're actually kind of strange in this way in mainstream America in that we really want to be in love for our entire life. We, that's, that's the ideal, and that's the expectation, actually, is that you fall in love at some point in your 20s, and you get married, and you have children, and you stay in love for the rest of your life. There are other cultures around this planet that actually don't idealize that. They might like that, but that's not the expectation, and some cultures even say, well, why would you want that? <laughs> uh, and, and why would you even expect that to happen? Of course, love is something you feel in the beginning of a relationship, but as time moves on, you don't feel that anymore. So, so that's just one thing to keep in mind is, is that I come from a particular cultural bias that might color my treatment of a, of a couple like this. Also, some families have different ideas about what constitute a functional relationship, and we need to be careful about imposing our own ideas and values onto other people. So when, when we observe this couple, we have to be careful that we don't impose our own culture on them in terms of what constitutes a functional relationship. 
if you came from a background where conflict was very rare in families, then you're going to look at this and you might see, you might be more apt to see a little bit of conflict as being dysfunctional. Whereas if you grew up in a family that had a lot of love and had conflict, which is a combination that can work well in families, and you observe some conflict between people, then you might tend to wonder if the conflict is actually destructive or not. So when assessing these things, you really have to be careful that you don't impose your own bias on situations. And this is a bias I see a lot in people because it's really hard to imagine other families operating drastically different from the one you grew up in and having that drastic difference be functional. It's hard to imagine. And I've seen this transformation in in novice therapists when I work with them. When they first see a family that is, say, mildly dysfunctional. Well, so let me just tell you this. I'll, I'll, I'll show a video of a family to a classroom of, say, 15 students. And I'll go around the room and I'll ask them what they think of it. And it's really interesting to see the different reactions that they'll have to the family. You know, a third of the fa- a third of the of the students will say, "Oh, yeah, they seemed fine," or they side with the parents, and then another third s- totally sides with the kids, and then another third thinks the whole family is completely screwed up, and they're shocked at how terrible it is. And then a few people will say, "Like, I don't know, they seem fine to me." So we all come from these extremely biased positions, and we just have to be careful that we don't impose that on people. So we have to try to be open minded. That's something that I do often as a therapist is I, is I am a firm believer in, in people are innocent until proven guilty, so to speak, in that I don't really know anything from first impressions, and it, it takes a long time. And even if I were to find this family, they come in and I ask the daughter, you know, what do you think about your parents fighting? And the daughter said, I don't like it. I still don't have enough data to really know what the experience is like for this daughter. So it's it's a hard thing. And even if I looked into it for a long time, I still might not ever know. So we, after just accepting that life is messy and taking a deep breath and then really trying to make sure I'm not imposing my own cultural values on other people through my assessment, through treatment, if, if this was my client, I would do the following. First, I would try to relax, like I said, and check in with my counter-transference and my cultural bias. And I would tell them that research shows that conflict is more important than divorcing or not. For, you know, in other words, a lot of couples worry about divorcing because they worry that that will harm their children. But research shows that divorce does harm children, for sure. But if you stay in a marriage that is highly conflictual, that's even worse for children. Now, it's hard to gauge what's really conflictual and everybody's different and this sort of thing. But it makes sense, right? Nobody wants their parents to get divorced. But if parents divorce in an amicable way and find a way to functionally parent their children together without causing too much stress for the children, then you can imagine that that scenario is far, far superior to a child being in a household for 20 years while their parents fight every single day. We don't, you don't need research to tell us that the second option is far worse 
And the research shows, shows us that. Research shows that aggression is increased with marital conflict, delinquency from school, conduct disorders, anxiety, depression, uh, social withdrawal, um, all of these things are, are clearly established. This, this topic of marital conflict and how it affects children has been researched forwards and backwards for decades. And it is clear that marital conflict is a problem for children. Now, having said that, conflict is a very, is a very interesting term, right? What do we mean by conflict, right? Well, when I'm talking about this sort of conflict, I'm talking about destructive conflict, conflict that doesn't get resolved, conflict that is highly spiteful, conflict that is destructive, obviously, if it's violent, if it's scary to the child, if the child is feeling a, a lot of pain watching the, the conflict. These sorts of conflicts are the kind that affect children. Now, if parents have a, con- a minor conflict, and I was just talking with a couple about this this week, they were, they were telling me, well, we really want to conflict in front of our children to, to show them how to conflict. And there's some research that shows that a little bit of conflict will help children because it shows them how people negotiate and how they resolve conflict. The problem is, is a lot of couples don't know how to resolve their conflicts. And so, so obviously you don't want to expose children to conflictual sequences that don't get resolved in the end, but I mean, in general, but in my opinion, in my experience, if you expose children to a little bit of conflict that doesn't have destructive, scary, resentful, angry elements to it, and you proceed to work it out fairly quickly, not like over the span of a week, but maybe within five minutes, then children do benefit from that because they see how you negotiate. They see how you empathize. They see how you reflect. They see how you listen to someone else. So really, you need to expose children to really superior communication skills and conflict resolution skills. It's not just exposing children to conflict. So there's a big difference between exposing children to just general conflict and exposing children to conflict that is helpful. So that's in a nutshell what I was telling my clients. I said it shorter to my clients, but anyway. Um, So I would point out that research to this couple if they came in, just to set the record straight, because it's a common notion out there that you shouldn't get divorced because that will harm children. But I would say, well, actually, yes, that's true, but being in conflict the entire time is, is much, much worse than that. And I would let them decide, you know, what that meant for them. And then I would lay out their options. Whenever I run into people like this, I I like to be very clear about their options. Now I don't tell them what to do, but I, but I'm very, I try to be very balanced and unbiased in my portrayal of their options. Because I find that when people are scared of moving forward, they don't really know what their options are because they don't want to think about it. And they stay stuck in a rut because they're afraid of change or they're afraid of, they're not afraid of change, they're afraid of negative change. So I would lay out their options. I would say, okay, you can stay together and continue as is. That's an option. Or you can stay together and work on your relationship and try to improve it and see if you can actually find love and find a lack of conflict between the two of you. Or you can break up and work on how to parent together effectively. Those are your three main options. 
again, stay together and continue as is. The way your relationship has been in the past year will continue for the rest of your life. That's an option. If you, if you keep things the same and you don't change and you don't try to change, that is what will happen. Now, when I say that to people, universally couples will look at me like, I do not want that. That's why we're in therapy. So I say, okay, it looks like you don't want that option. Okay, so the, the two other options are stay together and work on your relationship. Really put in a good effort over the next six months and see if you can reduce conflict and see if you can in, increase your intimacy. Or if you don't want to do that because you don't really want to be together or you don't think you have the the motivation or the dedication to go to therapy every week or every other week and really put in a good effort to improve the relationship, then your other option is to break up now and we can work on ways to parent together effectively. And we can work on ways to break up in a constructive, amicable way. Because I, as a marital therapist, have helped couples do that when they make that difficult decision. Now, when I say those two things, I will get a lot of different answers. And very rarely will I get someone saying, yeah, actually, I want to break up. Usually when I frame it in the way that I framed it, people will say, well, geez, maybe we can improve this thing. Let's, let's really give it a try. And so usually that's what people will say. Because essentially I'm giving them an option that appeals to them and has some hope. And since I don't know them that well in the first session, I, I have no idea about the prognosis. And I generally have a lot of hope for couples anyway, because I've seen some of the most conflictual couples that I thought from the beginning would just be disasters. And they work hard, and they climb their way up the, up the hill, and they reach their goals of reducing their conflict significantly and riding off into the sunset happily ever after. I've seen that. And so I always have hope for couples, even the most seemingly dysfunctional. So I would lay out that, those options to them and just say, here's the reality. And it's, it's not only just psychoeducation or goal, goal consensus or you know, goal development and therapy, but it's also an intervention because I'm framing it in a certain way as I'm talking about it. I'm saying you can stay together as is, meaning you can stay together and it'll, if you don't change, then things will stay exactly the same. The way it feels now will only stay the same or if not get worse. So you see how I'm framing that, right? It doesn't sound appealing. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I could frame it differently. I could say you could, you could keep things the same because it looks like you guys are doing great. Now, I don't even know if couple, if this couple, if I said that to them, how they would react to it. In all likelihood, they would say, like, what do you mean? This is terrible. And that would be a very Mnuchin thing to say. It's like, well, I don't know. You guys look fine to me. And then that sort of forces the couple to oppose you. But, but anyway, so I'm, it's a, it's the way I'm laying it out is an intervention. And, I, and I'm trying to inspire. I'm trying to help clarify their options. I'm trying to give them hope through it all. And I'm also trying to give them an out because the third option of, of saying, or you can break up and we can talk about how to da da da. When I say that, if someone in the couple actually has both feet out the door, which absolutely happens in marital therapy sometimes, then that person will often capitalize 
in that moment on that. And they will say, you know what, I'm thinking maybe option three might be good. And it's rare that couples will do that, but but some people will. So I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm testing to see if someone has f- both feet fully out the door by really giving them an option of, of, of breaking up amicably and, and me helping them with that. Now, um, and this is something I work with a lot of novice couples therapists is, is I will say, don't be attached to couples staying together because not all couples stay together in couples therapy because some couples don't want to stay together. There's, I forget the exact research, but uh, they've, they've conducted research on couples that come to therapy in their first session, and often they've been in conflict for a long period of time, and they both are very much considering divorce or breaking up at that point. And so it's a, it's a, it's a very difficult climb to get, to get to a place where things are good. So anyway, also it's important to remember that these, these decisions take time for people that if I lay out these options, it's not often that clients will say, Oh, I know exactly what I want to do. They might be on the fence between two and three. They might be on the fence between, well, let's see if we can improve this and maybe we should divorce. A lot of times what you'll hear people say is they'll say, well, if things, if things don't change significantly soon, I'm out of here. And the interesting thing about that is people can say that statement for 10 years, and I've seen that before. People can say, look, if something doesn't change soon, I'm divorcing this person. To me, that sounds like, oh, you're going to divorce, I don't know, in the next month or week or something. But to them, in reality, what that means is I might actually never divorce that person. So you never know what people mean by what they say in this situation and never underestimate fusion and enmeshment and uh, a fear of letting go and a fear of being alone. There's a lot of barriers to couples breaking up that probably should break up and they have to do with a fear of being alone, a fear of, of being the bad person, a fear of, of guilt, a fear of guilt, you know, if you're the one that breaks up, you, f- you feel really guilty. A fear of losing your children, a fear of becoming a really difficult family. You know, for, for some parents, they might stay married because it's better to keep your enemies close <laughs> than to have your enemies far away. So there's a lot of reasons why people stay together. Someone might have experienced loss in their own life and therefore are terrified of losses like divorce in their own life. And I would also ask them what their ideal relationship is. I would ask them to describe their ideal relationship. What would they like to have? And I would really take a lot of time to explore that because a lot of people come from families where there was not an ideal relationship and and they didn't they didn't, they've never had it and they've never seen it they don't know what it looks like and so some people and this couple might be in this category because a lot of people that stick in relationships that are dysfunctional so to speak come from families that modeled to them that this is what it's like and so 
I will talk with people. I'll say, you know, what sort of relationship would you like to have? And, you know, I'd get really specific. How, how often would you fight? How angry would you be with this person? How often would you have sex? How, how many times would that person say a nice thing to you? What sort of feeling would you have around that person? How would that person help your self-esteem? How would that person be around your family? What sort of job would that person have? How responsible would that person be? Just just going down the line and just, re- and just really exploring it. And, I, you know, I don't know what people would say to that, but but I would just really explore that. And then I would say, okay, so do you feel that you deserve that relationship? And what are you willing to do to get there? And a big question is, do you think you're going to get there with your current partner? So these are just explorations. And I don't know the answer to these questions. Maybe they'll say, yes, I, I do think I can have that with my partner. Or they might say, no, there's no way I'm going to have that with my partner. And then, I, then, and, I, you know, and then at the end of that, I don't say, well, there didn't you have your answer. It's just an exploration. The one thing about couples therapy, I think I've talked about this before, or maybe I was just telling a supervisor this earlier because I know I was doing that. But the thing to remember about couples therapy is that when people come in, they often are, like I said, struggling with, with a lot of difficulty in their marriage. And it's tempting as an outsider to say, well, well, clearly you need to divorce, break up, and move on. Start over. Find someone else. This relationship is untenable. This needs to end. It's, it's tempting to think that, and it's tempting to also think that that's what they're going to do because, you know, clearly you guys understand how difficult this relationship is. Why are you in it? You know, certainly you know that this is not a happy situation. The couple might even be saying that they want to break up. But in my experience, couples will need a lot of time before they can actually break up. It can take years and years before a a couple that seemingly has all the answers before them telling them that they need to break up. It it can take years for them to actually do it. Now, this isn't all couples, of course, but, but in my experience, it takes a long time. People in general, men and women... They, they have a lot of emotional reasons to stay in a relationship, even if it has problems. And those are things that you can't dispel very easily. They're not things that people even necessarily want to dispel. And so as a marital therapist and as someone that's close to a couple like this, which this anonymous listener is, it's important just to have patience and just to accept the way that the situation is and, and hunker down and get ready for the long haul, which this might be. Again, life is messy. People's lives are messy. The closer you get to marriages, the more you realize how messy a relationship is. And as a professional person that gets close to a lot of marriages, I can tell you that most marriages are messy. Most relationships have very messy, quote-unquote, elements to it. In other words, things like, things like infidelity in their past that they recovered from. Things like, I don't know, addictions. Things like unresolved conflicts and resentments that are shocking to outsiders. 
this is why it's so frequent that people will say, oh, John and John and Jane, they broke up. They seem like the perfect couple. I can't believe it. The reason why that is is because you don't know shit about that couple. <laughs> you know them at dinner parties, but you don't know shit about them. You don't, ha- you don't have any idea what's going on in that relationship because when people have conflict, for the most part, they're ashamed of it and they put it underground. They keep it secret. Or they just go into denial about it, which is another thing that people do. Because it's so painful to acknowledge the conflict and the hurt in a marriage. It's so hard to acknowledge that. It's so painful to think that one's spouse is unfair to you and doesn't love you, really. That's a very painful thing to accept or to even consider. And so people will go into denial about it. And when you go into denial, it's not like you're choosing to go into denial. You're not like, oh, I'm not going to think about it. Your brain, unbeknownst to you, just sections that off and just doesn't allow you to have conscious access to that. Now, if you really looked at it, you'd see it. It's not like it's completely gone, you know. But you don't wake up and put effort into denying that. You just wake up and like, oh, things are good. And then when bad things happen, your brain just slowly starts shoving it into the closet. So it could be that this couple is going through that as well. Patron Lois wrote in and said, thanks again. I am learning so much and have so much to learn. Everything is helpful to me in my everyday life and relationships. Well, you are so welcome, Patron Lois. Listener Peter wrote in, I think Peter is a patron, patron Peter, wrote in and said, Dr. Honda, thank you so much for your podcast. It has made a positive difference in my life and given me confidence in my decision to apply for a society in clinical psychology with a focus in forensic psychology. He goes on to say, I also love when you include Umberto. His unbelievable intelligence and humor are a great point of insight in each topic. Thank you again patron Peter or listener Peter. Well, you're so welcome, Peter. I haven't been able to involve Umberto recently because he has been in Colombia for the past number of weeks and he is returning soon and he will be on the podcast soon. Well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me. Please take care of yourself and please become a patron if you're not already. You can take care of yourself and you can become a patron because you deserve it. (laughs) 